Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Exodus 3, 1 through 12. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burning up. Then the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, and God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place for which you stand is holy ground. And he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I observe the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard the cries on the account of their taskmasters. I, indeed, I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of this land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have... I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be God. Thank you. Good morning, church. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ takes place during a Jewish holiday called Passover. And uh, this tells us something about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the story of Passover is a story of freedom. And what happens in, uh, in the story of the Exodus is that God leads God's people to freedom. So what we are doing in this series called Let My People Go is we're taking a look at the first great story of freedom in the Bible in order to understand the greatest jailbreak that ever happened. The day that Jesus Christ broke forth from a tomb, conquered death, and carried us with him. So I'm glad that you're with us in the second installment of Let My People Go. In our first installment, we talked about two remarkably heroic women. I'm just curious, does anybody remember these two women's name? Pua? Shifra. Shifra and Pua. Uh, I'm on a one-man crusade to make these household names because I... Our daughters need heroes like this. So do our sons, for that matter. These two women are remarkable women. Through their courage and their bravery and their wisdom, they saved an entire generation of Hebrew boys, including a little boy by the name of Moses. Last week, we left off Moses' story as Moses was fleeing from Egypt. He had killed one of the Egyptian slave masters, hid his body in the sand, and then he ran away in fear. 
He spent 40 years in fear until one day he's out shepherding some sheep and he sees a burning bush. The burning bush is perhaps the most iconic image in the entirety of the Old Testament. It's a powerful, powerful story. And this morning we're going to look at how in the burning bush God confronts Moses' fear. And when Moses is set free from his fear, Moses is then free to go and help set other people free in their lives. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit, when Andy and I were at our last church, we, we lived on the campus of the church. And uh, we would go on walks. We had this route close to our house. Actually, the, um, the, the trail, the... Um, Appalachian Trail ran right by our house. We didn't walk on that. I don't know why, but we didn't. Uh, we, we walked on this, this, this kind of loop around our neighborhood. And you go out our driveway, you turn left, and you go up the hill and turn right, and then there's the house with the German shepherd. Right? And this dog was huge. He weighed more than Mark Montgomery. Right? <laughs> Which, come to think of it, isn't a lot. This is a really big dog, Okay? And the dog, the first couple months that we were there, the dog kind of had this tendency to run at you. And I don't know if you've ever been chased by a German shepherd, but uh, it'll get your hackles up. I mean, it's scary. Uh, this was a big, big dog. And then one day on our walk, we saw that, that the owners um, had put one of the electric fences in, the underground fences, you know what I'm talking about? And the dog had the collar to keep him inside his yard. And so the dog would still run at us from the bottom of his hill, but when he'd get to the edge of his, his lot, he would stop so we could walk by. And this was, you know, good for a couple of years. And then one day, we went on our walk, and I saw that this giant animal didn't have his shock collar on. And I thought, oh no, here we go again. But an amazing thing happened. The dog did exactly what the dog always did. It ran as hard as it could to the, the front of its lot, and then it stopped. Even though it didn't have the collar on anymore, the dog had been programmed to stay in his little box. And here's the reason I bring up that story. I think it's very possible, in fact, I think it's true, that most of us spend a lot of our lives in boxes, cordoned off by our fear. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad the dog stayed in his yard, right? But I don't think that the living God created this wide, wide world so people like you and me would stay inside of our boxes built by fear. And so today we're going to look at the story of the burning bush, a, a story where God confronts Moses' fear. And recognize that God has also come to address our fears. It's interesting to me that when God shows up in the burning bush and calls Moses to go and, and set the people free, Moses is not excited about this prospect at all. He doesn't want to go. Uh, in fact, he raises not one or two or three or four. He raises five objections, five excuses, five reasons that he says to God, I just, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I want to walk through those with us this morning because my sense is that the excuses Moses used are often the excuses that I use and probably you use to step away from God's call 
on our lives. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 10. We're going to work through Exodus chapter 3 and 4 this morning. Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. God says, So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? His first objection, who am I? Translation, I am not good enough, God, to do what you have called me to do. I am not good enough to do what you've called me to do. I'm not a prince. I'm just a shepherd these days. I can't do what you've called me to do. I'm not good enough. I talked last week uh, during the benediction about a passage of scripture called Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 in which God says through the apostle Paul that we are God's workmanship. Some translations say we are God's masterpiece. That God looks at the beauty of creation and says the best thing I've ever done is you. You're the best thing I've ever made. Imagine what it must feel like when God's masterpiece looks back at God and says, eh, I'm not that great. Imagine how that must make God feel. When God calls, and God always calls us, when God calls, we have a tendency like Moses to say, I'm, I'm not really that good. Last week we had 11 baptisms at Ebenezer Church. That's the place where you're supposed to say amen. amen. All right. Uh, 11 baptisms. And it wasn't confirmation Sunday, it was just 11 baptisms. Three adults, eight kids. And one of the things that we say we're going to do in the midst of baptism is that we are going to do everything in our power to help raise these children together. That they have ceased to be simply the, the children of their biological families. They now belong to the spiritual family of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I hope that means for us is that we recognize we have a chance to set a new narrative inside the minds and hearts of our young people. We get a chance to help them understand who they are. And you've heard me say this a hundred times. My hope is that we will help our young people understand the three truths of Scripture, that they are loved by God no matter what, that they have a place where they can belong, and that they have purpose in their lives. It is our task to teach our young people that they are the beautiful and beloved children of God. And while we are about the work of teaching our young people that they are the beautiful and beloved children of God, my hope is that we will recognize that we too are the beautiful and beloved children of God. So Moses says, I'm not good enough. We often say, I'm not good enough. Look at what God says back to Moses. In chapter 3, verse 12, God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you in Pharaoh's court. I'll be with you on the mountain of covenant. I'll be with you in the valley of sin. I'll be with you in the waters of rescue. Even one day, when you take credit, Moses, for what I have done, still, even in that moment, I will be with you. Moses says to God, I'm not good enough. And God says back to Moses, I'm plenty good. So, God wins round one. Moses raises a second objection. In chapter 3, verse 13... Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, I don't know you that well, God. 
I don't even know your name. I'm not spiritual enough to do what you want me to do. I don't know you that well. This is one of the greatest objections that Christians raise when God calls us. God, I'm not spiritual enough to teach a Sunday school class. I'm not spiritual enough to go invite my neighbor to work. I'm not spiritual enough. But that's the wrong question. The wrong question is, am I spiritual enough? Because the question we're supposed to ask isn't, are we holy enough for God to use us? That's the wrong question. The right question is, do we believe that God is holy enough to use people like us? And the answer to that question is always, yes. God can use people like us. God does it all the time. Moses says, I don't even know your name. And in verse 14, God says, I am who I am. We could translate this as essentially saying, God telling Moses, I am existence itself, Moses. In other words, Moses, here's the deal, brother. This isn't your story. It's my story. We so often think, as, as human beings, we so often think that things like the burning bush is about Moses and the, the exodus is about the Hebrew children. We think that, that the Bible is about the earth and that our lives are about us, but that couldn't be further from the truth. The burning bush was about God. The exodus was about God. The Bible is about God and your life like mine. It's about God. Like Moses, we're not qualified to answer God's call because of all the work that we have done to draw close to God. We're qualified to answer God's call because of all the work that God has done to draw close to us. Moses says, I'm not spiritual enough. And God says, I am. You don't have to know my name, Moses, because I know your name. And that's enough. So Moses loses round two. And raises a third objection. In chapter four, verse one, Moses answered, but suppose they don't believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord didn't appear to you. Moses asked the question of rejection and leadership. He says, I'm not trusted enough by the people to do what you want me to do, God. So first, Moses is worried about whether he's good enough. And then Moses is worried about whether he's holy enough. And now he's worried about whether or not anybody's going to follow him. As somebody who has the opportunity to participate in spiritual leadership, I can tell you that my sense is, for all leaders, there's always a moment of fear. Where we ask ourselves, will anybody follow me? After all, you know what they call somebody, a leader without any followers? It's just a, just a person taking a walk, right? <laughs> Will anybody follow me? That's what Moses wanted to know. Will they even follow me? What do I possess that would make anybody take notice? Moses says, what if they reject me? What if they don't follow me? What if they don't trust me? Look at what God says in verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, it's a staff. God says, you looking for street cred, Moses? Take that staff in your hand. Throw down your stick. Watch what I could do. God turns into a snake. They're not trusting you, Moses. 
They trust in me, God says. And if they don't follow you, so what? That's not your concern, Moses. Your concern is whether or not you're going to follow me. At the end of the day, your job is to be faithful to me, Moses, because I'm the one who's going to set people free, and I'm the one who's going to break Pharaoh's hardened heart. I'm the one who's going to bear the fruit. I'm the one. Don't believe me? Throw down your staff. Watch what I can do with a stick. And then imagine, Moses, what I could do with your life. So, round three goes to Yahweh. Round four. In chapter four, verse ten, Moses says this. Oh, my Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. You know what Moses is really saying to God? Moses says to God in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I don't have the skills you need. Hmm. I don't have the skills you need. This may be the single greatest objection that we Christians raise when we are called by God and we're always called by God. God, I don't have the skills. It's a question of ability and I don't have it. I don't have the juice. But here's the thing we have to remember. Okay, If you don't remember anything else from today, I hope you will remember this. If you look throughout the history of the Bible, what we find over and over again is that God doesn't call people who are equipped. God equips people who are called. God doesn't call people who are equipped. God equips people who are called. Think about this. Did God pick Abraham and Sarah to be the father and mother of a new nation because they were just so good at having babies? No. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Did God put a 12-year-old boy named David face-to-face with a giant because it was good tactic and strategy? No. But the boy whipped the giant that day because God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the call. God didn't call Peter a rock because Peter would never falter. He didn't call Paul to narrate the New Testament because Paul would always get everything right in his life. He doesn't. God does not equip. God doesn't call the equipped. God does not (laughs) call the equipped. God equips the call. My point is to say, church... So often we look at God, we look at God, and we say with great audacity, God, I don't think we can accomplish your plan together because I don't have the skills that you need. I love God's response. It's my favorite response in the dialogue with Moses. In chapter 4, verse 11, Moses says, God, I'm not good at talking. And the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? I'm not so good at talking, God says. Who invented talking, Moses? I've got all the skills you need, son. It's fascinating that we would say to God, we can't accomplish your plan because I don't have the skills. You know what that'd be like? That'd be like my six-year-old son, Brock, saying to me, Dad, we can't go out to lunch after church today because I don't have any money. What? That boy's never paid for lunch a day in his life. 
It's always been the father who pays. It's always been the father who has the resources, not the children. Always. God always pays for lunch. Moses says, I'm not sure I'm a good enough talker. God said, I invented talking. I'll be right beside you. So, ding, ding, round four goes to God. And this brings Moses to his fifth and final objection. And it is perhaps the most honest objection that Moses raises. Would you look with me in chapter 4, verse 13? Lord, please send somebody else. Last week, last week we talked about the fact that, that the event of Jesus Christ isn't just about the forgiveness of sins. That what Jesus comes to do in his life and his death and his resurrection is he comes to give us new life, real life. The resurrection doesn't start when we draw our last breath. It starts today. God came to give us life and God has an expectation in return. God says, if I'm going to give you abundant, beautiful life, my expectation is you're going to live it. So when God says, I want you to volunteer at Thurman Brisbane or I want you to tutor kids after school, I want you to share your faith, I want you to go to Africa or Costa Rica or West Virginia or sometimes the hardest place right next door. And so often we say to God, I don't want to. That's what Moses says. And God's response is powerful. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. God says, what of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak fluently. And even now he's coming to you and his heart will be made glad when he sees you. Sometimes doing the work of God is hard. The work of liberation and justice, it's difficult work. But we don't do it alone. God says to Moses, I know what I'm asking you to do is hard, and that is why I have given you a family. The women and men sitting next to us today, we may not even know their names, but they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like Moses, we hear the voice of God and we're offer, we're likely to offer our own excuses. And our excuses look a lot like Moses' excuses. I'm not good enough or holy enough. I'm not a good leader. I don't have the skills or the drive. I don't know about you. My excuses so often sound like Moses. And so God gives us a family to equip us and encourage us. So when you say, man, I'm not good enough, I can remind you that you're beautiful and beloved. That you're a masterpiece, and best of all, that God is with you. When I falter and say, I don't know that I'm holy enough, you can remind me this whole thing isn't about Rob. When we say we don't know if anybody's going to follow us, we can remind each other that that's God's problem, it's not ours. When we fear that we may not have the resources, we can remind each other that God is always the one who's paid for lunch. The Father has always had the resources, never the children. 
And when we look at one another from time to time and say, I just don't want to. We can remind each other we don't have to. Or at least, we don't have to do it alone. Like Moses, we've got a lot of excuses we can use. Not good enough, not holy enough, I'm not a great leader. I don't have the skills, I lack resolve. It's possible that in the midst of this sermon that pretty pretty transparently is about the fact that God calls all of us. It's possible that there may be some folks in the room today who haven't found their burning bush yet. And the call that goes with it. That's okay. If you find yourself in that place, I want to offer you one piece of advice. It's to do what Moses did until the time he saw the burning bush. If you haven't heard the call from God yet, if you don't know exactly what God is calling you to do, in the meantime, shepherd some sheep. Invest yourself in the life of the person next to you. Help them know who they are. And in their reflection, see the image of God in yourself. But there are a lot of people in this room who have seen the vision. Some in this room who know that God has called you, know precisely to what God has called you, and maybe, maybe, like Moses, you're making some excuses. If that happens to be where you are today, I just want to remind you of one thing. People are still enslaved. We encounter them every day. They're enslaved to poverty and hunger. They're enslaved to greed and corruption, sin and death. That's why God calls us. God calls us first to find our freedom and then to help set other people free. And this call that God has placed on your life, it's uniquely for you. It's as real as I am standing before you today and the stakes are high. In the crucible of the burning bush, God calls Moses. God reforms him. And yes, Moses squirms and he screams, but in the end, the people of God are set free. The burning bush is the story of a God who used a man who believed his life was over. It's the story of a God who used a man who thought himself useless. It's an intimate exchange between a man and his God that set the world on fire. So where's your burning bush? Where's your Egypt? Who are the people that God has called you to help find freedom? Last week we talked about these fences that are behind me and how they symbolize the fact in our lives as we're journeying through Lent that there are still some things that bind us. We can still find ourselves in bondage. You know, um, one way we could talk about the story of Moses at the burning bush is ultimately... The impetus for every objection Moses raised was fear. He was afraid he wasn't good enough. He was afraid he wasn't holy enough. He was afraid he'd be a failure as a leader. He was afraid he didn't have the skills. He was afraid he lacked the resolve. Moses was afraid. God's people were enslaved and Moses was giving himself over to fear And the hard truth is that oftentimes 
We do the same. And so, I want to invite you to join me in an exercise this morning. Um, during the last hymn, if you want to, or after worship, it's up to you. Some of the wonderful volunteers here at Ebenezer Church put together these little doohickeys. Um, it's got a little piece of paper on it and then a link for the chain. Um, so here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite all of us to recognize that God has called us. And that probably there are some fears in our lives that are keeping us from going where God has called us to go and doing what God has called us to do. And so, so this morning I want to invite you to grab one of these and write that fear that's holding you back, that's keeping you in your box. And then I want to invite you to add your link to the chain of bondage. Not because we are defeatists, but because we have to be honest with ourselves. We've, we've got to be honest with ourselves before we get to Easter Sunday morning. We've got to be honest with ourselves that there was sin in us and fear in us that necessitated the cross. Mostly we've got to be honest with ourselves about the fact that we still need a Savior to set us free. It's amazing to me. With all the power and all the resources that God has, God chooses to work through people like you and me despite our objections and fear. God wants to use you and me just like God used Moses to set people free. But first we've got to find our own freedom from the fears that hold us back. And when we do that, when we hear God's call, when we confess the fear that's holding us back, we'll find that God has broken every chain in our lives and has set us free to go forth and be agents of liberty in this world. What a day that will be. And maybe today's your burning bush. So take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story of Moses, the most remarkable leader of the Old Testament, a tremendous, tremendous man of God. But, oh Lord, he was not without his flaws which gives us great hope because we have flaws too and fears. Holy God, in those moments in our lives where we want to try to tell ourselves that we're not good enough, remind us you call us a masterpiece. When we want to say we're not holy enough, remind us that you are holy enough. When we're afraid others may not follow us, help us simply to follow you. When we're afraid that we don't have the skills, help us to remember you have all the skills that, is, that are needed. And when we lack resolve, help us to see that there are people around us who are hurting. People who need freedom. I thank you for these beautiful and beloved people in front of me today. 
I thank you for the way that you have called them. And most of all, I thank you that you are a God of freedom who breaks every chain. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Friends, as you're able, would you stand and worship?